Hey, welcome again to Door Creek. Thanks for joining us online, wherever you're at. I know a bunch of you have been enjoying meeting on Thursday nights, and we've suspended that for now, uh, just due to the rising numbers of COVID cases. So thanks for your understanding. Be safe. It's really happening. These just aren't statistics. It's happening in families across our church where, man, we've got a lot of uh, young people and couples that are quarantining from each other. And so our hope is that, that maybe even in December that we could come back into all of our campuses on a Sunday morning, hopefully before Christmas. So we'll just keep our eyes on that. Just thanks for your understanding. I want to also thank those of you who gave blood, 170 plus units of blood. That's huge. Way to go, DeForest Campus. And also a thank you for the many of you that participated in Trunk or Treat. So we had 500 kids at our two venues up in DeForest and here at Sprecher Road. Uh, over half of those kids and their families weren't from our church. So in the midst of a pandemic when so much fun things are being taken away from kids, what a great thing that we could do that and just serve our communities in this way. So thanks for those of you who decorated your car, handed out candy safely. It was a great, great night. And hey, thanks for all of you for just keeping your head on right now in the midst of a crazy election cycle. So I'm recording this on Thursday. It's like four o'clock here on the clock. And the last time I checked, Nevada still hadn't been called. And there's all kinds of things going on in the courts. And this just may be like 2000 when it didn't get decided until December 12th. I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Whoever is nominated, the president of our United States, that nothing changes, right? So God is still on the throne. Jesus Christ is ruling supreme. He created this world out of nothing and he holds it all together by the power of his word, the scripture says. And so let's just keep our eyes on Jesus. When a nation is divided, the greatest benefit for that divided nation is a united church. And we have an opportunity to unite around Christ, around his purposes, around his heart, around his character. And so let's do that well. He's the light of the world. And in the midst of the darkness, whatever is making up the darkness, and there's a lot of contributing factors right now, let's shine brightly because Jesus said, we're the light of the world. And so let your light shine before men in such a way that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So I'm just praying that the fullness of Christ's spirit would be in us and moving through us so that there'd be more joy and peace and patience and love and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control just emanating for our lives, just gracing other people's lives as we together desire to be a Christ-centered church for all people, not those who just look like us and vote like us, but all people where the power of the gospel is continually transforming lives, renewing our city in all the phases of our city and changing the world. Let me pray. Father, before we go to your word, we just ask that you would have mercy on our nation. And out of your infinite great mercy, Father, that you would uh, do a good work in the midst of all that's hard right now. We know that you've asked us to pray for your kingdom to come for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's what we're praying. That whatever administration, whatever party that we're affiliated with, that our participation in that would be honoring to you. That more of heaven would break out here on earth. 
out of your mercy and grace and through your people. And so, Lord, unite our hearts around you, Lord Jesus. Unite our hands and feet around the work that you're involved in, the work that not even the gates of hell can withstand. Grace us, Lord, as we seek to be your people, shining brightly for you. And Lord, as we go to your word right now, I pray that your spirit would be working through my words so that my words would take people to a better understanding of your words so that we would love you more and be better positioned to love our neighbors as you called us to. We pray all this for your glory and in your name, Jesus. Amen. It was 1995 when Christopher Reeve suffered a tragic accident. This is the guy who played Superman. This handsome, athletic, 6'4", actor. He had everything going for him until that day when his horse stopped and he went sliding off of it and broke two vertebrae in his neck. It was four days later when he woke up to the realities of his new life. A a quadriplegic, one who would never receive healing. And he said to his wife, Dana, in the midst of the discouragement and the darkness of his despair, he said, maybe we should let me go. We're going to meet up with a paralytic. I don't know if he was a paraplegic, if he was a quadriplegic here in the Gospel of John chapter 5. But I want us to just kind of get in rhythm with just the complexities of life. Some of you, You're already doing life in a chair like my dad did the last three years of his life. And it's hard. You don't need any help here. You know all about it. But for a lot of us, we read about a paralytic at the side of the pool in Bethesda and we just go on. And we forget about all the trauma that goes on with this kind of an injury. One of the things that you'll deal with with a spinal cord injury is what's called an autonomic dysreflexia. This is where the involuntary nervous system is is just hypersensitive and all these things start firing in our bodies and it's not good. Rapid heartbeat, spike in blood pressure. There's this constriction of blood vessels, nausea, dizziness, severe headaches. There's anxiety, there's sweating above the line of paralysis. There's this increased spasticity restlessness, blotching of the skin. And that's just for autonomic dysreflexia. Then add to that the issues of the bowel and the bladder, the urinary infections, the constipation, and the humiliation of all that. The pressure sores, the issues of bone density being compromised, scoliosis, the body being deformed, twisted, the financial burden, which is huge, In the millions of dollars if you have that accident today. And then year in, year out, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then the emotional trauma that quickly caught up with Christopher Reeves. Maybe we should let me go. So so remember that as we open our Bibles and catch up with the paraplegic. Maybe it's a quadriplegic in John's Gospel, chapter 5. John's Gospel, chapter 5, reading at verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. So we're not sure which one. We know 
that the festivals would be times where certain of those festivals, the Jewish male would be required to be in attendance. Jesus is a good Jew. He's there. The festivals also remind us these are times when God's people would celebrate God's miraculous deliverance and provision for his people. It's at that time in Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, that's in the northeast corner of the old city of Jerusalem, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, the setting here is Bethesda's pool. Here's a picture of Bethesda's pool. I remember taking a couple of groups here from Door Creek Church to go by St. Anne's Church and then go to the archaeological dig here that exposed the pool of Bethesda, the spring-fed pool. Bethesda meaning the house of mercy. What a fitting name, this house of flowing waters, the flowing waters that would relate to the springs that fed these pools and to the flowing waters of God's gracious mercy. It was just outside of the sheep gate. The sheep gate was called the sheep gate because that's where the sheep came in. All the sheep that would end up sacrificed as offerings unto God for the forgiveness of the people's sins. It's right there in this busy marketplace. It's right there where we can see in our mind's eye that all around the deck was strewn, filled with the lame and the blind and this man who'd been there for 38 years. They brought him in the morning and they took him away at night. They brought him in the morning. They took him away at night. Some 13,800 days he's dealt with this condition that has ravaged his body, it's ravaged his mind, it's ravaged his soul. And what we learn here in John chapter 5 is since Jesus can make us whole, holy trust Jesus. Whole in the sense of physically whole, spiritually, em emotionally, socially, in our relationships, whole. Holy trust Jesus, not, not ourselves, not yourself. So Jesus can make us whole. And because of that, we're not to trust in our own resources. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't go to a doctor, but that our fundamental hope for healing, whatever it is this day, this time in your life, it's fully fixed on Jesus, the great healer. So the question, do you want to get well? I don't know how that hits you. But as a pastor who's gone to many people in a hospital, I can assure you, I've never asked the question. When I spent nine days in the hospital back in 89, nobody asked me that question. It's like, of course he wants to get well. And, and yet Jesus asked the question because the question deals not with just physical wellness as we're going to see, 
but the whole of this man to be made well. And so he asked him a question that wasn't to be answered emotionally here. Do you feel like hitting it? Do you imagine what it would be like? No. Do you want? This is a question of desire, of volition, of your will. Do you really want to get better? Or are you comfortable in this condition? Are you comfortable? Is this now your identity? That you're the, the paraplegic, the quadriplegic, and that's your identity, and you know no other identity, can't imagine another identity, can't imagine making a life with legs right now, and all that that would entail. Do you want to get well? His answer kind of uh, uncovers a little bit the object of his trust, doesn't it? That he's trusting in these waters. He's trusting in himself. He's trusting in other people to get him in these mysterious miraculous waters what does he say verse 7 his first excuse well I have no one to help me well I thought it was just a yes or no do you want to get well uh, absolutely he doesn't say that he doesn't say yes he's basically saying yeah I've done everything I can to get well I, I have no one to help me and whenever the water stirs somebody jumps in in front of me I can't move I can't get there. I can't get into the water. And what is clear here is he wants to get well. That's why he's been doing life at Bethesda's poolside all these years. But he's lost hope. His hope has been in the waters and he can't get in the waters. His hope has been in some friends that carry him to the pool every day, morning and evening, but can't stay the day. His hope is that he could muster a little bit of strength. He has no hope. His hope has been in the stirring of the mysterious waters. He's not been looking for the coming of the Messiah, the promised one. Jesus asks us this question because this is a living word. So this is a story that, that was written about a time 2,000 years ago. And yet this is a living, active word and Jesus is speaking to us in his word and he asks you and me the question, do we want to get well physically? That's an easy one. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, do we want to get well? Since Jesus can make us whole, holy trust Jesus, not yourself. Well, now, now we come to a, a faith move that goes on here. It's a beautiful move. Here, all of a sudden, we, we see what it looks like to wholly trust Jesus. And the first picture of faith is he is taking Jesus at his word. That, that's our working definition of faith. What is faith? It's taking Jesus at his word. It's doing what his word tells us to do, obeying his commands. And it's trusting and believing his promises. And here he is taking him at his word. What was God's, Jesus' words to him? It were a threefold command. Get up, pick up, walk. And he does that. And there are challenges here. The, the get up was this rational, intellectual challenge. You're asking me to do something that I've wanted my body and my legs to do for 38 years. And even if they mysteriously could get me up, I don't think I've got the muscle strength to, to stay on my feet. But I'm going to take you at your word. When my mind says, this is impossible. There's an intellectual challenge. 
Oh, there was a huge emotional challenge. What was that about? Oh, take up your mat. This is the mat that's been carrying him for how many years? How many days? This is the one place that he can be on for a little comfort as, he's, his, as his body is absorbed into the, the little bit of straw that keeps him off the, the, the pavement, if you will. Will you take up this mat that you've been lying on and will you go make a life as you go walk in faith? That was a huge emotional challenge. And then the spiritual challenge, will you walk in faith? And keep on walking is the force of the command. Keep on walking, trusting in what I tell you to do. And so Jesus didn't offer to wait with him. He didn't grab some water and splash it in his face. He didn't say what he's going to say in verse 14. Stop sinning because you actually got a bigger issue to deal with than your physical. And then we can talk. Now, there was nothing that this man needed to do for Jesus to pour out his mercy because his mercy is unconditional, even as it is limitless. And so out of the fullness of his infinite mercy and compassion, he heals the man and tells him to get up, to pick up his mat and to walk. And he was instantly healed. And that takes us to the second picture of faith. And we read about it in the following verses. So now we're in the second half of verse 9. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, our Saturday. The seventh day, the day of rest. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who'd been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walked. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple, at the place of worship. How beautiful. And he said to him, see, you are well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. The first move of faith is take Jesus at his word. Take God at his word. Obeying his commands, believing his promise. The second move of faith is the completion of that is to stop sinning. So we receive this gift of new life and John's been talking about it because he's presenting Jesus so that we believe so that in believing we'd have life, everlasting life. And so he's reminding us that this is a gift that we receive through faith and our faith is completed in obedience. It's worked out. In fact, Paul will call it the obedience of faith in Romans chapter one. And so he says, he says, I want you to stop sinning, which raises the question. So is, has he been sick for 38 years, paralyzed for 38 years because of his sin? It could be. Now, we know it may not be because in John chapter 9, when they meet the man who's been born blind, the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, neither. Not the man, not his parents. This happened so that God would be glorified. But we also know in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they were struck dead because they lied. They sinned. And so it's, it's safe to say here, it's likely that he 
sinned and suffered the consequences, not just spiritually in his heart of hearts, but it actually manifested in his body. And even in that ailment, there was mercy there for him to recognize his need for Jesus when he met him at the pool some 38 years later. Something worse. We're going to look at that next week when we get in the rest of the chapter. Something worse is referring to facing the judgment unprepared. Standing before God and not having your sins forgiven as you trusted in Christ, the one who died for your sins, and you stand condemned. And that's worse than 38 years of being paraplegic. So we've got these pictures of faith taking Jesus at his word. This ongoing obedience, stop sinning, getting right with God. And then there's this picture of counterfeit faith that comes from, of all people, just the, the religious, religious guys. I mean, the bigwig religious guys. These are like the pastors. These are like the seminary profs. These are, these are like the people that you look up to and you go, whoa. By the way, don't do that. We'll always let you down. Always look up to Jesus. But these are the religious leaders that actually show us and illustrate what bogus counterfeit faith looks like. They're more committed to the rules in their empty rituals. And so they miss God's grace. They miss the miracle of God's mercy that restored this man to new life as they focused in on the infraction of the laws that they had constructed around God's law completely missing the intent of God's law. Religious leaders who were quick to judge, missing out on the joyous celebration that Jesus right here is showing that he is Lord of the Sabbath and that like the Father, he's working on the Sabbath and his work is restorative work where one day when it is complete, all things will be made new, including our bodies. They missed it all because they were all focused on their man-made laws. 39 laws that define what it means to not work on the Sabbath. Laws like don't look in a mirror because you might be tempted to fix your hair. That would be work. You can tuck a uh, a handkerchief in your pocket as like a piece of decor, but don't carry it in your pocket like because that's carrying a burden. Uh, You can go a thousand yards, but you can't travel more than that because that would be considered too much and that would be breaking the sabbath remember you got to keep it holy and so they did all these kinds of crazy things like okay all right if you can go a thousand yards from your house but then tie some strings to some other people's houses you can keep going it's crazy absurd and they missed it all this counterfeit faith and since jesus can make us whole the scriptures enjoining us to holy trust Jesus, not ourselves, not anyone else. Not any superstitious thing. Look for the miracle of God's son, Jesus Christ, who broke into this world on our behalf. So the text is asking us these very questions. Do you want to get well? Do we understand that we cannot heal ourselves? Do we understand that we have our own version of Bethesda's pool? Our own version, if we only had these resources that we're we're going to, that we're leaning on for healing, whatever it is, physical, spiritual, emotional, social, relational. 
Do we believe that there's actually something worse than being paralyzed? Have we received his full healing, forgiveness, new hearts, new desires in a right relationship with God? Not because of anything we've done, but we've taken the faith that he's given us and placed it all in Jesus and we've been made right, children of God. I remember when our church prayed for a, a dear woman in our church. Her name was Jeannie. She was a single woman. She taught piano lessons. That was her livelihood. And she had a, a, a bad injury to her finger which prohibited her from playing piano. And so she called for the elders to pray for her. I'll never forget when she held up her crooked finger. It kind of looks like this one that got all busted up last year in a bike accident. And I can't straighten it anymore. But I, I remember Jeannie holding out her finger and she said, God's been talking to me about my heart through this crooked finger. And he's been telling me that I don't just have a crooked finger that needs straightening. I've, I've got a heart that needs repairing. And so as you pray for healing for my finger, would you also pray for my heart? Maybe right now God is, is just using his word right now, the Holy Spirit using his word to say there. There, there, there's something crooked. There, there, there's something sick that needs my healing, merciful touch. And there isn't anything that you've done that Jesus can't heal. Now, I think the third question is, am I a miserable rule follower missing the mercy of God, full of criticism, cynical, judging others? Is that me? Completely missing the mercy of God. I, I don't see it. The Bible says his mercies are infinite. The Bible says his mercies are new every day. His mercies are falling on our nation and our families and our friends every day. And do we see them? Do we recognize that we need them? Are we prepared to extend them? I, I can tell you this. If we cannot see and celebrate the mercies of God, we will never be people who extend his mercy. And that's one of our core values, compassionate service, humbly extending Christ's compassion to people in need. Don Carson in his excellent commentary on this very passage says this. They, the religious hypocrites, think they see what is important, meaning the breaking of the law. But in religious matters, there are none so blind as those who are always certain that they see. None so blind. Is that us? So blind because we're so certain about what we see. But we don't see. And we're missing it all. Johnny Erickson Tata was about 16 years old when she jumped into the waters of Chesapeake Bay off the dock right there, the waters were too shallow. She hit her head and she was paralyzed. Her sister turned around only to find her face down in the waters. It was really rough in the early days. She talks about her wrestling with suicidal thoughts, asking friends to, to disconnect her and, and take her out of this world. And then there was this time over time where she embraced that God does good things through hard things and that somehow she was going to trust him to do good through this. In fact, it was her friend Steve that gave her this line that she would just go back to over and over again. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. 
But in those early days, she, she wasn't sure that God loved her. She was, she was wondering as she would think about this very story in John chapter 5 that, that she was one of those at the poolside and Jesus walked by her, didn't see her. And she wondered about that. But over time, her confidence in Christ grew and she was able to praise God for her injury. Decades after thinking about that passage and thinking about Jesus passing her by, she actually had a chance to visit Israel, go to Jerusalem, go right to the side of Bethesda's pool there, that archaeological dig. And as the tears streamed down her face, she realized that she was just reflecting on her life, that Jesus had not passed her by. Then in a strange way, Jesus had brought wholeness even to her devastated, decimated, paralyzed body. She remembered praying, oh Jesus, thank you for a no answer to physical healing. That took years for her to say that. It meant that it's meant that I'm depending more on your grace, she would say, increasing my compassion for others who are hurt and disabled. It's strengthened my hope of heaven. It's made me love you so much more. And she said, I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking. This is Jesus in her life. This isn't sentiment. This is a woman whose life is hard every day. I remember Christopher Reeve was asked, do you cry? To which he said, I spend the first 20 minutes of every day crying. These aren't some platitudes from some ivory tower. This is her resilient, strong, God-given faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the great healer. And so Johnny says, I look forward to the day when I'm going to walk and run in the new heaven on earth. And I look forward to the day when I'll kneel. And she said, until that day, would you kneel for me before the Lord God, your maker and mine? And while you're down there, if you so please, would you thank him for meeting a paralytic woman named Johnny? Let's pray. Lord, even as Johnny is recounted your goodness we know that that's not always an easy place to be and so we pray for people who are in the fight of their life right now maybe they're battling covid right now maybe they're doing life in a chair one of our friends here at church maybe they've just just caught up with this just grim diagnosis and it's just hard to, to believe that you're good that you're able Lord, I pray for your mercy on all of us. Lord, we need to get well in the entirety of who you've made us to be physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Heal us. Give us that gracious understanding that we need it. And with that, Father, faith to take you at your word. To know what it means as you say to each of us, get up and take it up and walk with you in faith. Help us to understand that. Holy Spirit, do that work that only you can to uncover the pockets in, in our own lives that might just reflect some of the brokenness of our bodies right now. Give us new life and forgiveness. 
Thank you for dying on the cross that we could be made whole. Wake us up to the warning, Lord, that there's something worse than 38 years of paralysis. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Strengthen us to be your people, filled with hope, ready to dispense that as we point others to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.